Hello, my name's Karen O'Connor, and you're listening to Isn't That Interesting? Hello and welcome. I'm here today with Lisa Baker again. How are you? Hello, great to be back. I just pressed a button and all your information disappeared. Now, we spoke, oh, my goodness, when was it? About two years ago? It's got to be two years ago now, hasn't it? Yeah, it was mid-pandemic, I think. Yeah, I think it was. I think it was. And you're over in America. You're from Canada, aren't you? No, I'm actually, I was living close to Canada. I was living in Michigan, but I am an American, and I was living in Michigan. And since we last talked and we can go back to this topic, but I've moved back east to where I'm from, to Vermont. I grew up in Vermont, so I'm in the beautiful, tiny state of Vermont, and you cannot wipe the smile off my face since I moved back here a year ago. (laughs) We were talking, because before we started, we ended up just chatting for ages, and, and eventually you said, we need to record this. Because there's so much that we've covered, isn't there? Last bit, you specialise in health and well-being, particularly for people in the caring industries, don't you? But one yeah, of the, that's the niche. Yep, that's unique, and that was great because it's really applicable to our age group and what we tend to do. But then we started talking about how yep. much both our lives have changed since we last spoke, and that's come out of where we're at in yeah. life. Yeah. And I was saying, I'm not sure how we're going to follow that first episode because I was listening to it again. I'm like, wow, that was great. (laughs) But my thought was, it's interesting because I was talking in that episode about it really, perimenopause slash menopause really becomes our time. Like we're giving birth to ourselves. We finally have a moment to breathe. Sometimes not so much time to breathe. I've noticed because I moved back East in part to be close to my parents who needed need help. You don't have a big breather in between. And of course, the parent-child relationship continues to be fraught, even when we're 58. When you have parents who lived as long as mine did. (laughs) We just buried my stepdad and he was going to be 97 last year. So he almost made it to 97. And my mom is 87. And so now I'm in that, that sandwich generation for sure, where I still have kids who they are out of the house now. My son just moved into his first apartment. <laughs> and so I really, I know, pat mom on the back for that. And so I had a moment to breathe. And now I'm starting to recognize mom is really going to need a lot of help. And she's great. She's a pistol. She's 87. She lives by herself. And we should all live that long and be that healthy. <laughs> she was out shoveling snow this winter. And I called and there was no answer. And it was after a really big blizzard. And I was like, huh, wonder where she is. She wouldn't have gone out anywhere. Called her an hour later, no answer. And finally she calls me back and she says, did you try to call me? I was out shoveling snow. And I was like, lady, you have someone who plows your driveway. And she says, I know, but I figured I couldn't go for a walk. It was too slippery. So I thought I would shovel the snow. (laughs) Okay, I give up. Good for you. Wow. (laughs) Well, but we are getting to that age, aren't we? And it's difficult. One of the hard things, and this is decisions we've both made in the last two years, is as our families grow up and we've dedicated our lives to looking after other people. And when I bought this new place with 
because we're both in new houses, obviously. But when I bought this new place, I found it really difficult to figure out what I wanted, not what was going to be right for the family or was going to be the best thing for everybody. But what was it I wanted? And that was a struggle. Did you find the same thing? Am I alone in this? I don't think so, but... <laughs> I'm going to apologize for my dog alarm that seems to be going off right now. There must be a delivery person outside. So yes, I, as I was saying, I blew my life up after we talked last time. My husband lives and works in Hong Kong, and I thought, this is silly. I'm living in a 4,000 square foot house with the dog alarm, and <laughs> that's it. Nobody else lives here. Daughters in grad school, sons in college. This is a lot of room. <laughs> and I kept thinking, nobody, but nobody needs to be cleaning four full bathrooms when there's just one person living in the house. <laughs> so I talked to my husband and I said, look, you're there for at least five years, maybe 10. How about if we sell the house and I move back east? And he was, oh, I don't know. <laughs> and I said, I need to do this. And so I talked him into it. and. Boy, I don't know what happened in Australia with the real estate market, but it took off in America right around that time. And so we were able to sell at a huge gain and buy a condo for cash. And we are now debt free. And that was just a huge thing to do during the pandemic. And yes, it was intensely stressful. I bought a condo sight unseen, like I'd seen it on video and really just took it on faith that everything was going to be fine. And for the most part, it was. But it's really complicated to sell a house, buy a condo, move cross country after downsizing lots of stuff and to do it on my, I did it on my own. <laughs> and afterwards, again, I was like, oh, pat yourself on the back. Good for you. Like you now understand everything there is to know about real estate transactions. <laughs> because before I was like, okay, where do you need me to sign? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think that's such an important part of this stage of life, which is recognizing that not only can we, and I hate this word, but should we <laughs> learn how to take care of ourselves in all kinds of different ways. Some of it is because we never had the time to do it. Some of it is because somebody else always took care of it. And you start thinking about somebody else may not be around. Somebody else may not live as long as I do. So I better get my act together. <laughs> so I just thought yeah, that was a, a really important experience to have. Yeah, I agree with you. It's been interesting because as hopefully everybody knows that's listening to this, I split up from my husband. We separated the initial <laughs> your alarm going again. The initial we're having a few months apart to see what we want to do because we need to break the patterns that we've been in. We've been married 30 odd years and we have our little roles out of habit, not out of any reason, any logical reason or any reason based on what somebody's good at or not good at, but just because that's the pattern we've fallen into. And like you say, with buying and selling my house and doing it all by myself and downsizing by myself and throwing things out and selling things and taking things down to the op shop and all of that stuff, all by myself, making all those decisions. Do you know what the hardest thing was for me? sold most of my furniture right but the table the dining table for some reason <laughs> I had a meltdown when my dining table was taken away because it was too big for my new place 
and I don't know what it was. And John said, oh, maybe it was just like that represents family to you. I've just got no idea. But that whole experience. Yeah. How much time did you spend around that table? Yeah, not that particular table, but it was, which was interesting because it wasn't a table that I'd had for a long time. So I was like, why am I getting upset about this table? I only bought it two years ago, (laughs) but there was just something. But it was interesting having to negotiate for myself and not be able to go in and say to John, oh, look, I'm not happy with this. You need to go and do blah, blah, blah. Yeah, you really catch yourself in those patterns. And it's funny because I recently had a very similar experience, which was two, two things came up one after the other. One is that I'm dealing with a backyard grading issue, which is causing some flooding, not flooding in my condo, but it's just like the water is standing against the back slab. And that was one thing. And then the other thing was I had a CPA, an accountant who just was not hello, uh, am I going to be able to file my tax returns this year? And there were two weeks where I spent a lot of time writing, quote unquote, nasty letters and emails and really advocating for myself in a way that generally I could let somebody else do. And it was simultaneously incredibly empowering and really exhausting. (laughs) Yep, I agree. With me, yeah, it seems and I, I know the downsizing game too. I'm quite lucky because I do enjoy moving house. One of those ADHD things we were talking about. I enjoy moving house, so I chuck things out <laughs> a lot. But yeah. it's interesting because same as you, I went from a much bigger house to a smaller unit, and I had to be yeah. really specific. Instead of having the two full sets of pans. <laughs> do I need two full sets of bands and two big casserole things that are about yay big and heavy and yeah yeah I went from a kitchen where I could teach cooking classes to 12 people to a kitchen where we call it a two-butt kitchen you cannot fit more than two people in there without just constantly running into each other and so I did the same thing. I did a lot of downsizing and the stuff that was really good quality, I still brought it with me because I'm like, oh, the kids will have their own apartment soon. So this past weekend, packed them all up here. Would you like this pot? Would you like this steamer? Would you... <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and so it's been a really interesting experience of downsizing and also recognizing that it's stuff. I'm not that attached to it. And now that I look at my mom, who's, you should come down and we'll look through my stuff and you can take what you want. And it's really hard to say, I really don't want your wedding china because I don't need it to remember you by. (laughs) (laughs) And I want something that can go in the dishwasher. Let's be honest. True. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah. Yeah. I did the same thing. Anything useful. I asked the kids if they wanted it. If they didn't want it, it went down to the op shop. Or I sold it. I did a lot of selling on Facebook, which was an interesting experience. I do not like selling on Facebook Marketplace, Gumtree or anything like that. I had a really funny experience on Facebook also. What happened? You know what I discovered? It's so strange. I would put, like, the first thing that I put up was our piano. And it went in one day for the asking price. Like we're talking thousands of dollars, nice piano, right? Leather furniture, no problem. 
all kinds of big stuff that was expensive, no problem. But then you put up some kind of like pot for $20 and someone says, I'll give you five. Really? <laughs> Are you kidding me? You're going to argue about $20? <laughs> yep. It brings out the weirdest, the weirdest things. It does. Like we had a garage sale and we had all of these DVDs, big box of DVDs, and we just labeled them all $2 each, one and $2 each. And these big Maori guys came in and they're like, oh, we'll give you 50 cents. And my daughter, like, oh, what? She must weigh 45 kilos, wet through. She's like, no. <laughs> She's like, why they keep them? Go away. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it's very interesting. The psychology of buying and selling stuff on social media is fascinating to me. Yeah. And the number of scanners on Facebook Marketplace is bizarre. I found that quite... It is. It's really wild. I must wild. have reported about 20 people for, for outright scamming. It was a scam. Yeah. The one, I don't know whether you've seen it. What, wild. What is it? Anyway, they say, oh, I could only transfer a minimum of $200 and this is only $100, so send me $100 and that kind of thing. Yeah, no. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> yeah, so that's interesting. We've both had the same experience. Midlife move, really having to advocate for ourselves, I think, is a really big part of this time of life. I and is, like I said, it's simultaneously exhausting and empowering. Yes, and terrifying at the same time because, or it was for me anyway, because like the one that's come up for me is having to draw the, and this is what we were talking about when Lisa said before, you need to press record, <laughs> is about drawing the line with around, how can I say this, basically misogyny and acceptable social behaviour. And the reason we got onto yeah. this topic is Lisa was commenting about the post I put up about, oh, about four or five weeks ago now where I got a lot of, copped a lot of abuse from, as my daughter-in-law put it, middle-aged, bald, overweight white man with right-wing tendencies. <laughs> That's what my daughter-in-law said. And one of them was my neighbour. He, from where I used to live. And it was actually, when he put up the comment, which was basically just abusive, he called what I put up drivel and it was stupid and he was just abusive. Like, obviously he didn't agree with it, but he didn't say, I don't agree with it. He just called me names and called what I'd written names. And I just laughed at the comment, first of all, and I thought about it for a couple of days and it was an interesting experience watching my thought process about this because my concerns were and I said this to Lisa had I still lived there I might not have said anything because I see him in a social situation and how appalling is that I feel the need to stop myself from saying that censor myself because I might upset somebody in person that's just that's not who I am either that's not who I am. Yeah. Why yeah. And I think that the question really is, yes, you might have upset him in person, but the real important thing is that you would have felt physically threatened mm -hmm. in that space. And yes. your next comment was you had women and not just women, I think, reach out to you and say, I'm so glad that you had that 
public conversation. And some of them even know the person and said, I'm so glad you called him out. But just this idea that, and this goes right back to what we were talking about in the first podcast episode, which is so often we think I am in this alone. I'm in this alone and it sucks. And I'm the only one going through this. And whether you're talking about like hot flashes or rage or whatever it is you're talking about, that's a symptom of perimenopause. It's also something that we do with other things in our lives. And I, I always say the way you do one thing is the way you do everything. <laughs> and if you are going around thinking, I'm the only one in this, I'm all alone. Nobody's here. Nobody's going to help me then you really do have that tendency to censor yourself and be super, super careful. And when you do speak up, how beautiful it is. First of all, you suddenly recognize that, oh, I have a community. I need to reach out to them more often in different ways. Obviously, it doesn't always have to be about calling somebody out on something, but really thinking about if I had that kind of a reaction from other people are feeling alone and scared too. So it's not normal, but it's common. So that's something that Christiane Northrop talks about a lot, which is we all think, oh, hot flashes are normal. Rage is normal. Brain fog is normal. Joint pain is normal. No, it's common. It's not normal. Yeah, that's a really great distinction there because the other thing that was interesting that was coming up for me as you were talking then is most of those people, most of those women who reached out to me did so in private messages, not on a public comment, yeah. which I find really interesting. And I was thinking as you were talking, ah, <laughs> would it, if we were in an all women's group, would they feel that same need to not have to hold back? Yeah. And that's a concern for me. That actually really concerned me. That was the big, yeah, I didn't like that at all, that thought. Because my concern was for yeah. my safety, as yeah. you said, and for other women's safety as well. And the guy's a bully. The people who do that are just bullies. I had any yeah. number of conversations with men as well as women on that post because they'd said, oh, I disagree with you because of blah, blah, blah. And I've said, yes, great. This is where I've got my information from. And we had this whole discussion, not a problem. But it's that abusive bullying yeah. that silences people, not just women, but some of the men as well. Yeah. Yeah. And it's the deepest irony is that the original comment had to do with immaturity in men, I think. And I'm sorry, you are responding like a toddler, like a kindergartner rather than an adult when you just turn around and abuse me. Like, how about we have an intelligent conversation in which you show me that you are not emotionally immature and we can have a lovely conversation and we may agree to disagree, but we're going to do it agreeably, right? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. Not so I think that's a really huge part of this stage of life too, which is really, first of all, advocating for ourselves. Secondly, recognizing that we, there is a community out there. And I also liken it to having a miscarriage. I had a miscarriage before I had my first child and you feel alone. You feel alone. You feel miserable and nobody says it to you until you have it. It's, oh, now you're in the club. I had one too. My sister had one. My mother-in-law had one. My sister-in-law, my cousin, my whatever. If they haven't had one, they've known someone who's had one. 
where were you all before this? Why did we not talk about this? Like, why do we not talk about perimenopause? It's not some big secret. It's part of a woman's life. And sadly, some parts are not that great. And that community is there. What do we need to do to build that village so that we actually can have that conversation on a regular basis, I think is the important question to be asking at our stage of life. Why do you think that we are that way? Because we do think of ourselves as individuals being alone. Why do you think that is? That's interesting because when we were tossing around thoughts about what are we going to talk about? (laughs) One of the things you brought up was self-image. And I think that's so important here. And I said it in the first episode, but I'm going to say it again. A conversation that I had with my children when they were teenagers, which was, I'm so concerned about what others will think. I am so concerned about what we'll think. I don't want to be seen this way. And when you take a step back and think, wow, if you're acting that way, I'll bet you was acting that way too, thinking those same thoughts. So she is not at all concerned with how she sees you. She's worried about how you see her. (laughs) So there's this external, what we think other people think about us. And it's such a, it's just an infinite loop because I can never know what you really think about me. And therefore, maybe I shouldn't be that concerned about it. Or at least I shouldn't assume that I know what you think. Just opportunity for another conversation. What would you think if I did this? Isn't it? They say like when you get to a certain age, you stop caring about what other people think. But maybe it's not that. It's more that you really start to understand that you've got no influence over what other people think. They're going to think what they think. And there is nothing you can do about that. Yeah. And I think the trick is to be okay with that. Hmm. I think it, I think we, a lot of us, have these ideas that we can control other people, manage other people, manage their thinking about us. You can't. The only thing you have any control over, and I don't like that word control, (laughs) but the only thing you actually have any influence over is yourself. And so that idea of self-image has to be, how do I see myself so that I'm okay with feeling that I don't know what others think about me? And I think you're right. I think at this stage of life, we do reach a point where we say, I don't really care what other people think. And we talked about this in the other episode too. That's not the point. It's not that you don't care. It's that you have enough of a sense of who you are. Your self-image is strong enough that you recognize that I can feel okay with this and I can feel okay with you being different. And also, I think I'm too blooming tired to want to keep up a front anymore. (laughs) I think that's got a lot to do with it. It's exhausting. I absolutely agree. Yeah, I read this fabulous book called There Are No Grown-Ups. And it's about, the. It, she's American, she lives in Paris, she's married to an English woman, an Englishman. And it's about her, because the French culture is so different to the American culture and the British culture, they, the French are much more self-aware. So they don't necessarily go through all the stuff that we go through. And it's interesting, she says, it's basically a diary of her 40s and how, you know, when you're younger, there's always somebody older to guide you. And it's just that realisation that actually there's nobody I met when I get 
to a certain age. I was just having this conversation with my brother. My brother just turned 60 and I'm like, how did that happen? Do you feel old? He's no, most of the time I don't. (laughs) Old just keeps getting older. (laughs) It's it's bizarre to think that, yeah, that there's no more grown-ups. Because if we look at our parents... They're at the stage now where they just can't be bothered, you know, dealing with all that angsty stuff and everything else. So there are no grown-ups beyond us. Like, we're it. (laughs) We're the grown-ups, which is a really scary thought. And I love that part of growing older, which is recognizing that I have parents. I may not have them much longer. And you know what? Their job is not to parent me anymore. That's my job now. And what an opportunity to parent yourself the way you want to be parented. Because so often the parent-child fit is just not that good. A lot of kids have parents who don't meet their needs, emotionally especially. And that's okay. Because when you get to be an adult, you have this opportunity to say, you know what? It's not about blaming my parents. My parents did what they could do within their emotional limitations, and maybe it didn't match what I needed. So how about if I now start parenting myself in the way I wish they had parented me? Because I I remember moments where I thought, God, that friend's dad is so cool. I wish he were my dad. And then you feel so guilty about it. But it's really an opportunity to think about if I'm not feeling good about something, if I'm upset, if I'm scared, if I'm whatever I am feeling, what would I want a really good parent to do for me, say to me? And it's your chance to do that for yourself because sometimes we know our parents aren't going to do that. And that's okay. That's not who they are. We're the adults. They're the adults. They're the grownups. <laughs> it's inside us. Yeah. And that also leads me on to this, the it's a lead into the topic you were talking about before that about self-acceptance and being okay with who we are and that journey started for me probably about four or five years ago maybe a bit longer than that when one of my best friends bless her cotton socks said we were talking about somebody who didn't like (laughs) John and I and she said she said I can understand them not liking you because people either love you or hate you, but I can't understand somebody not liking John because he's just really nice. And I was like, thanks. Thank (laughs) you, I think. (laughs) It's really confused. But that kind of gave me, that really made me pause and go, oh, okay, so... If I'm very black and white for people, why am I bothering with the people who fall on the they don't like me side? Why am I at all concerned about what they think? Because they're not going to like me. What an interesting revelation. Yeah, what, what a great revelation that, you know what, I've been living all this time and I had no idea people don't like me. Like, I thought everybody liked me. Wow. Guess what? Not everybody likes me. And you know what? I've survived. (laughs) that's the important part is like and you're okay yeah and the thing is by taking all of those people that didn't like me anyway by taking them out of the picture I've got a lot more time to focus on what I enjoy being who I want to be as opposed to going oh is that gonna work because that might offend them or they might get upset that's growing up yeah 
Yeah, and I think it really comes back to the idea of alignment that we were talking about last time, which is how do you feel when that person's name pops up in your text or in your phone? Are you running to answer it or are you just, oh God, <laughs> really? <laughs> because we talked about intuition last time too, right? If you're getting this text and everything in your body is walk away from the phone, do not pick up the phone. I am not here. I'm not texting you back. Maybe you need to think about whether you need to have that person in your life. <laughs> There's a couple of people that I have a ringtone of the foghorn on, and I know not to look at my phone when it goes me. <laughs> Karen, that is hysterical. I have heard, I've heard about like just setting certain tones for certain people. I've never thought about doing it like, oh, they're so and so. You don't even have to change your number. You just change the ringtone. Oh dear. There it is. That's a, that is a form of self-care. Like drawing boundaries is a form of self-care. And maybe drawing boundaries about some of our relationships is a really good place to start. <laughs> yeah. Let me ask you this. Is that part of the growing up thing that you can see in that we start to go, oh, I say I've got this boundary, but I'm actually not putting it in place over there with that person or with that kind of person. Yeah. I think that's a huge part of growing up is not just knowing where to draw the boundary, but actually figuring out how am I going to shore myself up <laughs> so that so that it happens that way. And I can't remember, it might've been Brene Brown who was talking about boundaries versus guardrails. And I just thought that was a really interesting distinction too, because she talks about how maybe we should think about it more as a guardrail, because then things can come in and also go out rather than it's a permeable cell wall rather than you're not getting through here. <laughs> so this kind of behavior toward me is okay. And that kind of behavior is not. That is a really, it's a really subtle distinction, but it's actually huge at the same time. A guardrail as opposed to a boundary. Yeah, I really loved it. And I wish I could remember more about it. But anyway, I believe it was Brene Brown who was talking about it. But my latest fascination has been with a book called Real Self-Care by Pooja Lakshman. And she's, she was a, or is a columnist for the New York Times occasionally. And I think you would really enjoy this because we talk a lot about self-care, you and I, <laughs> and her book, <laughs> I will be completely honest. When I read the introductory chapters, like that green eyed monster is rearing her head. She's girl, this is what you talk about all the time. Why didn't you write this book first? Literally everything the woman says in the first few chapters, I'm like, seriously, this is everything I've been talking about for years. <laughs> and. The more I read it, though, the more I realized what I love about this book is that she really, she also brings in that social justice angle about self-care. And she's, you know, if you think about the, she calls it faux self-care, the not real self-care. And she says, that is a noun. That is a retreat. That is a massage. That is, you go on Goop and you buy those vaginal eggs or whatever they are, those jade eggs. Like... It's a thing that you purchase. Yeah. And what I really appreciate about what she says is, come on, most of the women who need real self-care can't afford that stuff. It is not for them. And what I love about her book is that she says, you know what? It's absolutely free. 
Real self-care is a verb and it's absolutely free. You don't need to buy the stuff. There's nothing wrong with the stuff. If you like the stuff, there's nothing wrong with it. But A, you don't need it. And B, don't expect the stuff to fix it because it's not going to be there. That's not where the answer is. The answer is inside you. And yes, the only thing it costs is time for you to do the work. And there again, we might be cutting off a huge part of the population because a lot of people work two jobs. <laughs> but the, the, just this idea that self-care is not something that we buy. It's something that we do. We have to do the internal work first. And she really talks about how and this comes right back to our conversation about advocacy for others, not just for ourselves. She's talking about, okay, that sounds a little weird. You're concerned with social justice, but you're telling women to do their own work on their own self-care. And she said, really, if you think about it, what's really screwed up is the system. Like the system expects women to have it all. And it teaches us that we can have it all. First of all, do you really want it all? I don't know. Maybe you don't. <laughs> but really thinking about how it's the systems that have really screwed women up. And I love the parallel that she draws between women's self-care and burnout in specific. I work a lot in the field of burnout. So in burnout, there's something called a burnout paradox, which is it is the systems at work that have burned you out. Your job, your place of work is not set up so that you can do your work efficiently, effectively, and without killing yourself in the process. It's the system. And yet, when you burn out, what do they say to you? You just need to practice some more self-care. You just need some resilience training. You just need this. And the point is, I wouldn't need resilience training if I worked in a place where I wasn't constantly assaulted with stuff. And so this idea that same thing for women, like if we can, all of us do this internal work, figure out what really is important to us, align ourselves with our values and not worry so much about goals. How can we then advocate for others to have the same thing? Because it's about changing the systems. So, you know, you had this exchange on Facebook, you got a bunch of people saying, hey, good for you. Okay, so maybe they did it privately rather than on Facebook. However, there's a situation where you're like, wow, I've actually made a difference in somebody's life. I've stood up to somebody that somebody else was afraid to stand up to. And yeah, it didn't go great. It wasn't great for you. And it showed other people that, oh, I'm not alone. I could possibly do this. So just really that idea of advocacy once you yourself have discovered what feeds you, feeds your soul, feeds your flame, how can you make it possible for others to do the same thing? And I think that's a really important part of building our village. And for me personally, I think it's really important that we focus on women. I think that whole idea of here we are, we're in menopause, we're on the other side. And by the way, we know how great it is. <laughs> How can we then pay it forward? Sorry, my brain's gone on my on one of its tangents. It was really interesting what you said then about we're postmenopausal and how great it is. And I thought I remember um, things are. I wish I could just be young again. And I've always been in the space of you could not pay me enough to be a teenager again. Worst time of my life. Thank like, you, idiot. 
And now absolutely, I'm thinking, isn't it? Like just hormonal, not making any sense. So much angst and stress. Like, why would you want to be a teenager or a young person again? I actually really enjoy yeah. being older and not having all yep. of those hang-ups, insecurities, all of those pressures, the peer pressure and everything else. Why would I want to go back to that? And then what you just said about being postmenopausal, it was great. And I'm thinking, actually, yes, you could not pay me enough to be of child rearing age again. I do not want to go there. I know. And it's so funny because I have absolutely loved every single stage of my children's existence. When they were infants, I loved that stage. When they got older, I loved it. They went to school, I loved it. I loved, yeah, there were ups and downs. Of course there were ups and downs, but I honestly feel like every single stage with them has been great and every single stage has been better. And I keep thinking about, speaking of cool adults, like my kids are super cool adults. <laughs> and I really sometimes feel this is funny. I sometimes feel like a really bad mommy because in some ways I'm done. I'm ready for them not to need me all the time. And I just had a conversation with my sister-in-law who's, she's remarried and has a daughter who's having some surgery and she's, she's at the hospital. Wow. We haven't been in touch for a long time. We should touch base. Can't talk right now. I'm in the hospital. So-and-so is having surgery and I'm going to be living with her for a while and helping her through rehab. And God, I love being needed like this. And I thought, girl, you couldn't pay me enough. Like my kids better not need surgery in 12 weeks of rehab because I'm not there. <laughs> oh, yeah. <clears throat> so I think we're so different and how interesting that it works out that way. And she has lovely children and they have a great relationship and it's so different. Yeah, that's it. Because that opens up a whole other kettle of fish. We all think that there's one ideal and it's generally not us. We're not the ideal. Everybody else is the ideal. <laughs> However we are is not it. I know. That's why I say I feel like a bad mommy. <laughs> yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? Yeah, I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, yeah. that's actually a great perspective that Possibly for everybody, the ideal is somebody else. So even for that woman that, yeah. that you were talking about, maybe the ideal is you. She's got, she might look on you as being her ideal. We, we kind of designed like that as humans. Aren't we? <laughs> it is. It's so interesting. And I wonder whether it's because we're not very good at looking inside ourselves. It's very easy to look outside and it goes for all kinds of things. Like it's really easy to look outside for that fix. Look outside for how should I be eating? How should I be moving? How much should I be sleeping? All that you're getting advice externally, but what if you were to look inside yourself and realize, oh, I actually only need seven hours of sleep. Why am I trying to get nine? Or the opposite, <laughs> probably more true. But questions like that really, really make me think about how easy it is, especially in this world of insane amounts of information, how the minute we want to know something, we Google it instead of maybe I know that inside myself. Maybe my intuition can tell me that. And it's also a validation thing as well. I think I do it for validation. Or I think this might be best for me. I'll just Google it and see if somebody else is doing that. <laughs> that element. Yeah. How fun would it be to see if we can not do that? 
this is the way I feel. And this is what I think is right for me right now. I'm not going to Google it to see if Gwyneth Paltrow is doing it. <laughs> it just is something I think about a lot. Let's, let's see if we can turn inward instead of turning outward for our information. I think that is a really good point to stop on because we're going to carry on talking for the next hour if I don't. <laughs> I know. We're just going to talk. And it's daytime for you and it's my bedtime. So I can't believe we finally made this work again. <laughs> I know. I will have to do it again soon because this was really interesting. We got on today's episode not having a clue what we were going to talk about and decided we were just going to wing it, <laughs> which has <laughs> been the best conversation. The difficult thing is actually deciding on a title for the episode. <laughs> what is this episode? About? Karen and Lisa cover everything in one hour. <laughs> Let's see. Advocacy. We touched on advocacy. We touched on agency. We could do all A's. Action. <laughs> Abomination. This is the podcast of A's. <laughs> An A plus podcast. <laughs> Thank you so much for this. Oh, all right. We will have to do Thank this you. again when we can work out. So great time. to be back in touch. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe and don't forget to rate and review this podcast and share it with your friends. Thanks so much for listening and I hope you're leaving with some thought-provoking information that can make a difference in your life. See you next time.